job she left. Uh, she's new on that guy. Yeah. I think I had All right, everyone, we're going to go ahead and get started today. So if you guys could find your seat. Okay, definitely. Amen. Amen. And you can talk later. All right, guys, if I guys could get you guys to quiet down, we're going to go ahead and start with a prayer. So if you guys could bow your heads with me, that would be awesome. God, I just want to thank you so much for this time, Lord, that we get to come here, Lord, and have church together. God, I thank you so much that we love talking so much that it's hard to get a group to get quiet. Uh, Lord, I thank you so much that we get to come here and we get to worship with you, Lord, and that we get to serve you and get to learn a little bit more about you, God. So it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, and today for uh, worship, I wanted to try something a little different than what we normally do. I want to invite you guys with, as you're worshiping, I want you guys to close your eyes. And the reason I want you guys to close your eyes is I want you to focus in on God specifically. I don't want you to focus in on what the person to your left is doing. I don't want you to focus in on what the person to your right is doing. I want you to imagine how you would sing if you were singing to God in his own throne room. If you sat before him, how would you lift your voice to I don't want us to be concerned with where we are or what we're doing. I want us to be concerned with who we're singing to. So as we do that, I'd ask you to please join us in doing that and just really focusing on worshiping God. Amen. Amen. Let's also, um, before we start, let's have a moment of silence uh, like Gio does every week. Let's um, clear our minds. I, I, I was sharing with the, uh, the other members of the, um, the music ministry that I had a, a, a problem quieting my mind this morning. Let's see if we can quiet our minds. Just take a second, meditate on God. Listen to the sounds of nature. Okay, we're going to do a song uh, at 728 in the book, but like Logan said, let's, let's just close our eyes and let's, um, you know, let's, let's do this first. We're going to do a 716. Let's close our eyes. The words are easy. You'll pick them up. It's I have decided to follow Jesus. Okay. And close your eyes and just kind of absorb the words. Now you can sing along or you can just listen, whatever you'd like to do. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Turning back, no turning back. 
so much. Uh, so guys, today I have the privilege to get to preach to you guys because uh, unfortunately Gio is still out of town. He's still feeling sick, uh, him and Karen both. Um, so hopefully they come back soon. Um, so if you guys could be praying for them. Along with that, we also have uh, Brenda and Sir Roderick who are visiting from Uganda. So if you could say hi to them, get to know them. That'd be really awesome over there. Um, so it's really cool to have them. Uh, but along with that, uh, today I'm going to preach our sermon, and the title of our sermon today is, it's called, It Is Time. And that title is going to make more sense as we go through it, but I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Um, and it's actually really interesting, uh, because this, this sermon is going to be about sharing our faith, about reaching out, and that kind of thing. And it's actually the hardest sermon I've ever worked on, because there was so much I wanted to say. In the first run through of the sermon, it took me an hour and a half to get through it. Don't worry, that's not the version we're going to do today. Uh, you guys will get the 30-minute version. But it was so hard to decide what to condense down to because I feel like there are so many things to be said on this topic. But what ended up kind of grasping the majority of my attention is I actually polled some of you guys, and I asked you guys, what are some of your fears or some things that stop you from reaching out? And so I want to start with sharing some of those. Obviously, I'm not going to share names or places or whatnot, but I want to share a few of the things that were said because there's actually a common thread throughout them all. And so the first one says, uh, a fear of rejection or a fear of not having the right answers to question, questions, mostly fear. Another person said, usually something that stops me is feeling like it's not the right time, like it's a weird or cold conversation to bring up in certain moments. Sometimes I feel like I have to be on the topic of life or God in general. Another one said, I think for me, it's rejection. Within rejection, there is fear that whoever I'm reaching out to will look at me differently or completely leave the friendship. 
but worried as well to be the oddball. I feel nervous about being out of place. Another person said insecurity or lack of faith. Insecurity meaning I don't always feel like I can help that person that I'm feeling called to reach out to. And a lack of faith meaning that I don't trust that God wants to use me or I outright deny the calling to reach out. Another said, for me, it is believing that I've already tried once with them and they are not open, so they will never be open. Or that I think I already know their answer, so why bother? Another one said, either not wanting to be uncomfortable, thinking that I don't have the time, or not stopping to pay attention to it in the first place. And lastly, someone said, I'd say discouragement from past rejection. Trying and trying again so many times and getting so many no's is just so frustrating over time. And so it's so interesting because we have so many reasons for what stops us. So many different fears, so many doubts, so many insecurities. Mine was on that list too. And it's really easy to let these things stop us from doing something. And it's crazy. At first when I read these, I was like, wow, they're so unique. You know, so many people had so many different reasons. But the more I sat and thought about it, I was like, actually, it's the same reason represented different ways. And this thing is actually one of the greatest plagues to Christianity in general. It's the desire to not feel uncomfortable. It's the desire to stay in comfortability. If you look back and you look at all of these things, it's all about not being uncomfortable. Being afraid of being rejected is uncomfortable. Saying something that's not the right time is uncomfortable. Being the oddball is uncomfortable. Stepping out on insecurities or a lack of faith is uncomfortable. Trying again with somebody who's already rejected you is uncomfortable. I love somebody just said being uncomfortable. <laughs> and lastly, being rejected over and over and over again and feeling like you still wanna try is uncomfortable. And so the thing I find so baffling about this is when did comfort become the thing that we sought in Christianity? You know, I was in a D time with somebody and they, they were telling me that they, they didn't want to grow because it's uncomfortable. And I had a moment that actually condemned myself. I slid the Bible over to him. I'm like, okay, find me the character in the Bible who stayed comfortable. And obviously he couldn't do it. And I can't do it myself. But I thought about it. I'm like, well, why is it that what, that's what we strive so often for, right? Most of us, we sit and we think about what we want for our life. We're like, oh, I'd love to settle down, be married, have a couple of kids, retire, live a comfortable life. I can't find that character in the Bible. I don't know who that is. They don't show up. Every character in the Bible, they have comfortable moments, but they are constantly called to uncomfortability. And so one of the characters I thought of first is a character that we know all too well, but I wanna focus on a part of his life that we very rarely focus on. It's the character of Moses. And if you think about where Moses starts, right? He starts in a life of comfort, right? He starts as a prince of Egypt, at Egypt as its power. I imagine living as a prince is a pretty good way to start off life. That's a feeling of comfort. But Moses, he has a little itch in his heart. He sees the way his people are treated and he wants to do something about it. And so he takes a step and he kills a slave driver. But it wasn't God's timing yet. And so that ends up getting him rejected out of Egypt and rejected by his own people because he made the situation worse. And so he flees and he goes into the wilderness. And it's actually funny because he finds comfort in the wilderness. He finds a wife. He finds a stable job. He has a comfortable 40 years. 
You lived a very comfortable life. And you know what? I kind of think he forgot a little bit about Egypt. He kind of stayed out there until God comes to him in a burning bush. So I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter four, because I want us to note Moses's reaction being called to go back to Egypt. So in Exodus chapter four, verse 10, it says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I am not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether a person should speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anybody else. Right? If you're Moses sitting here in this burning bush, you have every reason not to go. You have a family. He had kids. He had a wife. He had an awesome father-in-law. He had a job. He's content out here in the wilderness. Why go back to Egypt where he was already rejected? Where he already messed up and he already didn't know what to say. In here, he also argues, I'm not eloquent. I don't know how to speak. I can't do it. Can't you send anybody else? And the truth of the answer is, yeah, God probably could have sent somebody else. But he wanted Moses. Moses had had the, the itch in his heart initially, but he had let fear and discouragement and uncomfortability put him into a place of comfort. And God's like, all right, you've been comfortable. Now I'm calling you out of that. And his fear is, please, anybody else. And it's funny because Moses reminds me of a character we know probably even better than Moses. He reminds me of Simba. If you think about Simba and Moses, they're actually really similar. Both grew up in royalty. Both had a death experience, pushed them out into the wilderness. Then they get super comfortable in the wilderness. They're really content. Akuna Matata, the shepherd's staff, the burning bush. I'm really content out here, right? But that's not the attitude of a king, right? The, the reason this lesson is called, it is time. If you remember, Rafiki eventually goes out to, to Simba and he calls him out and he says, it is time, right? And then the awesome Lion King music comes on and he goes back to Pride Rock, right? This is his version of this. Instead of an awesome wise monkey, we get a God in a burning bush. But it's the same calling of it's time to go back from where you fled from. I want you to go to where it's most uncomfortable, right? If you recall, Simba doesn't want to go back because he feels like he's already failed his people. Moses doesn't want to go back because he's already tried. He feels unequipped. He feels insecure. He doesn't know the right thing to say. He's already been rejected. But we know how this story ends. Moses ends up going. Simba returns to Pride Rock. And we have that epic movie moment. But it takes being content with uncomfortability. I want to share a story because maybe Disney is a little too outlandish. Maybe Moses is kind of a crazy story that we've heard too many times. And it's hard to imagine those kind of moments. But I can tell you one that I witnessed firsthand. And it's a story of why me and Kyle are even here today. We had a best friend, Dylan Timothy Snow. And if you met Dylan Timothy Snow, you know he is a one and unique person. But I love Dylan. He's, he had one of the greatest hearts I have ever seen of any disciple. Because we grew up with Dylan. We spent time with him. And he was practically our brother. At the time, me and my brother and Dylan, we hung out and spent every day together. But at the time, me and Kyle believed that we were already saved. We believed in a false doctrine. And Dylan had just got baptized. And so he was like, you know what? I can tell them about it. 
And so he would debate it with us, not usually in the best, most loving way, but he would debate it with us. And uh, I love my brother, but he's a little bit more passionate than me. So him and my brother, they would physically fight over it sometimes. <laughs> and I was a little less faithful. So I would sometimes just berate from the side with John 316. I'm like, what about this? No, while they're wrestling. But it was funny because we'd go round and round constantly about this. And I remember I sat my friend down. I sat Dylan down. I was like, dude, why do you keep bringing this up? You're not going to change our mind. We're not going to change your mind. Why not just let it be? Agree to disagree. And he looked at me and I will never forget the words he told me. I just told him to Evan today is he told me uh, because one day I'm going to see you in heaven and that's more important than our friendship. And that was crazy to me because I was my closest friend. He was a brother to me at that point. He wasn't just a friend, but he was willing to risk at the time was probably his only close friends because he cared more about where we would end up than our own friendship. To me, that is the heart of a disciple. To me, that is being uncomfortable. Snow got rejected time and time again. He literally got physically rejected. Me and Kyle would call him an oddball to his face. We were not the easiest people to reach out to. Snow could have said, you know what? I tried once, that's enough. They're clearly not open. Snow could have walked away and said, you know what, this is a little a little crazy, I don't have the right words. And he didn't, but he kept going. And I want you to note the heart. He didn't keep going because he's like, oh, I really want to just baptize somebody. He didn't come going because he's like, oh, I want to grow the church. He didn't keep going because he's like, ah, oh, you know what? I really want to prove them wrong. He kept going because he cared about seeing his friends in heaven. That is true love. There's no greatest disservice you can do to somebody than to just allow them to go through life and never give them the opportunity to know God. I am thankful for my best friend because he didn't let me just say no one time. He kept giving me every opportunity. And that is what I needed. So when I look at these discouragements, these things that stop us, I see a little bit of comfort that needs to be spurred into uncomfortability. Guys, these fears are all valid. You will experience them. You will feel times where you're rejected. You will feel times where you get nothing but no's. You will feel times where you're inadequate. There are going to be times when you don't have the right answer. But it's not about those fears. It's about feeling those fears and going anywhere. It's about knowing the chance of being rejected, but still having something to say. It's about caring more about seeing that person in heaven than having a comfortable relationship with them. It's about helping people find the same thing you have found for yourself. So I want to go to another story. Um, and this one's in Acts chapter 16. Um, and it's down in verse 6. And what's happening here is right at the time, Paul and Silas, they were trying to preach the word of God. They were trying to move God's kingdom further. And I want to read this little story because in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, it says, next Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Pygria and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at the time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead they went to Mysia and the seaport of Troas. So this is really interesting. Imagine you're Paul and Silas for a second. 
you're going out of your way to try to preach the word of God and you get rejected at your first area. You're like, okay, sweet. Well, just of course we'll go to this next town and you get rejected there. If I'm them, I'm feeling like, what the heck, God? I'm trying to preach the word here. Why are you keeping me out? It doesn't even say that people kept them out. It said the Holy Spirit kept them out. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm sure that's kind of crazy and wacky. But it kept them out of those closed doors. And I'm sure it was easy to be like, God, I'm getting nothing but no's. God, I'm trying to do your work here. God, I'm actually suffering for you. I'm going out and being uncomfortable. So why is it not getting me anywhere? I'm trying to do your will. I'm confused. But here's the cool thing. Because of where they were closed off, not once, but twice, they ended up in Athens. They ended up in Athens. And so I want to read another verse. And it's Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogues to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public squares to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epirian and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and the resurrection, they said, what is this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to a high council of the city. Come and tell us all about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained at this time that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners, in Athens seemed to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you are very religious in every way, for as you, I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I am telling you about. And so what's interesting is Paul ends up in Athens, somewhere he had no intent of going. Athens wasn't even the third destination. That's just where he was waiting to meet his friends before he would go somewhere else. But what's cool is while he's in Athens, he sees all these pagan shrines. And if you've ever been to Greece, there's a ton of Greek temples, a ton of Greek statues. It's really beautiful. But here it moved Paul. It says he was deeply troubled. And so he went anywhere to preach the word. He went to the Jewish synagogues. He went to just the public square, just whoever happened to be there. And then because he was debating there, they invited him out to a special place. Now, this place was a garden in which all the philosophers in Greece and in Athens would come to meet to debate their latest ideas. It was so important, actually, in Greece that if you were somebody, there was only one person in Greek history who believed it wasn't important to debate in the synagogues, and his name was Idiotis. So you were an idiot if you didn't come and debate the ideas. And so it's very important to them. So Paul ends up in this social hub, somewhere he never intended to be. And he decides to preach about God. And here's a crazy story. I went to Athens. I stood where he stood. They have a plaque that says, this is where Paul stood, where he preached that. And what's crazy about where he preaches is it's at the base of the Acropolis. And the Acropolis is a giant temple to Athena, which sits next to a giant temple to Poseidon, which sits next to a giant temple of Hades, a giant temple of um, Hephaestus, all these crazy statues. But what's crazy about it is when Paul was there, these things were maintained, these things were huge, and they were magnificent. Now, when you go there, they about 15 to 20 of the 126 pillars remain. In Zeus's temple, there's only nine pillars that are remaining standing. But what still stands there to this day is that plaque of where Paul preached. And it's cool because later in the scripture, it says that some people rejected him. 
Some people said, this guy's an idiot. Some said, oh, this is an interesting idea. I'm down to talk about it more. But some believe. And that impact had lasting impact. It was a crazy moment. When you go to Greece, you can't turn a corner and not find a cross. <laughs> and it was all because Paul ended up somewhere he never intended to be. And all because he had the faith to just preach to whoever happened to be there. And the guts to go against what they had here. If you read what he preached, the first thing he talks about is how God doesn't live in a temple made by human hands as he stands amongst crazy temples. He wasn't afraid to say the thing that we might be afraid to share because he wasn't afraid to be uncomfortable. And it had impact. So I want to give you one last story that still inspires me. And so I'm going to hit the other snow sister. So Jordan has an awesome story too that I got to see firsthand. You know, for a long time, me, Jordan, Josh, uh, Rebecca, Gio and Karen, we would share our faith on Ventura campus. And we did that for a full year. And me and Josh and me and Gio and, and Rebecca and Jordan, we studied with a lot of people that went a whole lot of knowing. And I remember towards the end of the year, I was getting really discouraged. I was kind of starting to feel like, what's the point? You know, I can share my faith all day long. I can try to reach out to people. I can do all these things, but nothing comes of it. And I remember I was reaching out with Jordan and I was kind of done. I was like, you know what? I'm not feeling it. And Jordan was like, hey, we're going to go up to one more person. I was like, no, I'm not. You can do that. I'll go. I'll be guy listening. Um, and so she approached Hannah, um, uh, Hannah Fry, and she reached out to Hannah. And I remember I sized Hannah up and I'm like, this person is never going to be a disciple. And so, of course, she came out to Bible talk to prove me wrong. Um, and then Jordan started studying the Bible with Hannah. And I remember throughout the studies, I'm like, she's not going to get baptized. I had no faith. And then she got baptized and she brought out a guy named George. And I remember meeting George. I'm like, this is a really cool guy. And we started studying with him and then he ghosted us for a bit. I was like, well, there goes George. She's never getting baptized. <laughs> and then George came back and he got baptized. Then they got married. And I was like, that's so cool. And then they brought out Ryan. And I looked at Ryan and I sized Ryan up. I'm like, there's not a chance. This guy <laughs> and then I talked to him. I'm like, there's no way he's becoming a disciple. And then to prove me wrong, Ryan became a disciple. And it's crazy because all that stuff happened after we left Ventura College. So we should target people you reject. Exactly. <laughs> but the idea here is the closed doors that I thought were closed were actually leading us to the one open. And that open door led to another one and it led to another one. And I think about how different that story would have been if Jordan had been just as faithless as I had been and been like, you know what? Yeah, I'm done today too. We would have not just missed out on Hannah, but we would have missed out on George. We would have missed out on Ryan. And who knows who else we would have missed out on for whoever else they'll continue to reach out to. And so my, my thing to you is when you're looking at that one person, you're sharing your faith, I ask you to see the people behind you. Because you're not just sharing your faith with that one person. You're sharing your faith with all the people that they will continue to impact. You have no idea the impact you can have on a whole generation of people by just going to one more person. To letting yourself feel a little bit more uncomfortable and to allow yourself to feel these fears that are, in my opinion, valid, but to take a step of faith and understand that God works better than we can. Sometimes you gotta go to the wrong continent to end up in the right one. Sometimes you reach out to a thousand people to find the one person that you're supposed to. 
spent a lot of time on Ventura College, a lot of time talking to the wrong people, but we ended up at the right place. That's what moves mountains. So I ask you to have a little bit of heart, like the two snows, to have heart to want to see these people in heaven and have the heart to not let your discouragement get the better of you. Because that's what moves the mountain. That's what creates the cycle. That's the reason we should reach out. So I'll close this out with a little prayer, and I hope we all take that with us throughout our week of having a heart for the people we have in our lives. I just want to thank you so much, Lord, that you care about us, God, that you have the heart of Dylan where you want a relationship with us, God. You don't want us to just have some superficial thing, God. You care about us, God. I ask that we would um, embody the heart of the Snow siblings, Lord, to have persistence, have uncomfortability, to step out on faith, God, to be able to go a little bit further, to extend the hand just one more time, God, to give everyone we know just one more opportunity to know you, God, because it's the same opportunity you have given us, God. I thank you so much that you call us to be uncomfortable, God, because comfortability, to be honest, is boring. There's a reason there's never a movie of a perfect life. It always has to do with the conflicts, the struggles, the hardships, God. So I thank you that you call us to uncomfortability, God. And I ask that we would embrace that and strive for it as Paul did and as the Snow siblings have done, God. And so I thank you so much for this time and I thank you so much for these people, God. It's in your name I pray. Amen. 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 God is so
Uh, I just want to say thank you to the worship team. That's really amazing. I really appreciate you guys always taking time to get here early and uh, sing for us because God knows I could never. Um, so I just want to pray real quick for our contribution and then uh, that'll conclude our service. So God, I just want to uh, thank you that we have an opportunity to uh, honor you as uh, financially as well as spiritually, God, to trust you with our money, God, to just give back to uh, God what is yours, Lord, that everything we have is just an extension of a gift you have given us, God. So I ask that we would just be faithful to return the favor, Lord, and just be able to support our own church and to be support the people who uh, give a lot of hard work and effort here, God. So I thank you so much for that. It's in your name. I pray. Amen. Amen. That concludes our service. I hope you guys have fun fellowshipping with one another and have a great Sunday. Thank you. Don't do it. I'm going to have to I don't know if that's a bad one to take.